Can you even pronounce World Health Organization, Natalie? World Health Organization. Now, can I pronounce it at a faster speed? We'll find out. Because I have a tendency to want to say World Horth. Horth is not even a word. No, it's, it's really so not So I a don't word. know. I, and I, I don't spend much time thinking about The Who as a band. The Who. The Who. The, the, yeah, this is the our science England. communications podcast about The Who. The, the rock band, band from London. <laughs> See, I, I don't know think something. I don't think they're from um, London. According to the Wikipedia <laughs> article I looked up last night, <laughs> I think they are. I'm Nicole. Welcome to our podcast, How Real Is That Science?, where we attempt to confirm or deny the validity of science within pop culture. Yes. Welcome, welcome. We are STEM graduate students interested in science communication. That's right, but we don't claim to be experts on the topics that we are going to discuss. Nope. But we have done our research, and that is the important part, folks. Always do your research. So today, we're going to be talking about pandemics. Yes. And the science behind pandemic disaster movies. Well, that's just your favorite. I do. I really, really, really love a pandemic disaster movie. Just They're just so fun. Not zombie disaster movies. Sure. I don't like those. Sure. There's something about zombies that I really don't like. I, I don't know what it is. It's some sort of, like, weird block. Maybe we can talk about that at a later date. Okay, but the pandemic movies that are actually like, oh my god, we have a virus and it's spreading everywhere. Those are good. Well, they're they're great. We all, everybody should love them or at least have experienced them. But I think we should probably start by talking about the science. <laughs> the so, science part on the science podcast. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. So, what is a pandemic? Okay, so according to the CDC, a pandemic is an epidemic that has spread over several countries or continents, usually affecting a large number of people. Now, this is different from an epidemic, which the CDC describes as an increase, often sudden, in the number of cases of a disease above what is normally expected in that population in that area. Cool. So the difference between the two isn't due to the disease itself, but more so due to the number of countries and the people the disease has spread to. And we get pandemics when an epidemic has spread over many geographical regions. Exactly. Any kind of infectious disease, whether it's viral or bacterial, can either be an epidemic or a pandemic. So, we've had pandemics before, correct? Right. One of the more major ones was the 1918 influenza pandemic, also known as the Spanish flu. It was caused by an H1N1 virus with genes of avian origin and spread worldwide during 1918 to 1919. Mortality was high in people younger than 5 years old, 20 to 40 years old, and those 65 and older. Initial characterization of the viral RNA was done in 1997, but the full sequencing of the genes wasn't complete until 2005. This showed that it wasn't an actual specific gene that was responsible for the high virulence, but rather a coordination of the genes together. Interesting. So it was first identified in U.S. military personnel in the spring of 1918, and was estimated that about one-third of the world's population became infected with this virus. The number of deaths was estimated to be at least 50 million worldwide. Yeah, the 1918 influenza pandemic was the most severe pandemic in our recent history. 
Symptoms of this disease were fatigue, followed by a dry cough and loss of appetite. The disease then moved to excessive sweating, which is super gross, <laughs> and affected and then affected the respiratory organs. Pneumonia could then develop after that, which often led to death. The other one most people know about is the Black Plague, and this occurred from 1331 to 1353 and was caused by the bacteria Yersinia pestis, which is usually found in small mammals and their fleas. Uh, It was known as the Black Death and caused more than 50 million deaths in Europe. Humans can be infected with the plague either through the bite of infected fleas, unprotected contact with infectious bodily fluids, or the inhalation of respiratory droplets or small particles from a patient with pneumonic plague. This is plague that has moved to the lungs and presents as a severe lung infection. And from 2010 to 2015, there were 3,248 cases reported worldwide with 584 deaths. What? That's crazy. I know. Who knew the plague was still around? Hopefully nowhere near me. So besides random bouts of the plague, are we currently going through any pandemics today? Yes. So one that we're currently going through is HIV AIDS. So HIV stands for Human Immunodeficiency Virus and is a virus that spreads through certain bodily fluids and attacks the body's immune system, specifically the T cells. So over time, HIV destroys these cells and we can't fight off other diseases. Opportunistic diseases can then infect our systems. No effective cure currently exists, but the medicine used to treat HIV is called intraretroviral therapy, or ART. Before ART, HIV patients could progress to AIDS in just a few years. Today, someone diagnosed with HIV and treated before the disease is far advanced can live nearly as long as someone who does not have HIV. By the way, there is a fantastic HBO movie called And the Band Played On, starring Matthew Modine, about how the virus was discovered in the U.S. and then the U.S. response to the virus. Highly recommend it. Please go watch it. I'm genuinely surprised I haven't watched that, so I'll have to check it out. (laughs) It's it's really good. <laughs> so the other pandemic that we are currently experiencing is coronavirus or COVID-19. Oh, yeah. And information about COVID-19 is rapidly evolving. So what we're saying today is based on the information as of March 14th, 2020. Right. So coronavirus is technically a pandemic as of March 11th. According to the WHO Director General Tedros Adham Gibrisis, so sorry if that's not how you pronounce his name, said this is the first pandemic caused by a coronavirus. It is also the first pandemic that the WHO has announced since the H1N1 swine flu pandemic of 2009. Coronaviruses are a large family of viruses that have uh, caused symptoms that range from respiratory mm-hmm. symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath, and breathing uh, difficulties to pneumonia, severe acute respiratory syndrome, kidney, and death. Kidney Kidney failure. failure (laughs) Just kidneys. Just kidneys. (laughs) According to the WHO, older people and those with pre-existing medical conditions such as cardiovascular disease, chronic respiratory disease, or diabetes are at risk for severe disease. There have been more than 140,000 confirmed cases worldwide, with the U.S. claiming over 1,500 cases. Right. And the best thing to do to make sure you don't get it is to wash your hands. This is very important. Wash with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Viral particles like COVID-19 have a weakness. They have what's called a lipid bilayer. Soap is able to break this apart, effectively disintegrating the viral particle. So washing your hands well and often is a great defense. 
Okay, so now to the main part of today's episode, the science behind pandemic disaster movies. Yes. We're going to discuss plot points of the movies, so there will be spoilers. Absolutely. Either you're gonna figure out how these movies end, or don't listen, I guess. <laughs> but I don't really want to say that, because, like, listen, but I guess skip to the end. Okay, good. So I'm gonna start with my favorite pandemic disaster movie, Outbreak, from 1995. This movie stars Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo, Morgan Freeman, and Donald Sutherland. Basically, an Ebola-like virus infects a fictional small town in California, and then military doctors attempt to stop the spread of the infection while others try and keep it as a biological weapon. The virus, Mataba, first destroys a small African village, right? Yeah. So... This is how the U.S. military first learns of the virus and subsequently attempts to use it as a weapon. This is going to be very important further on in the movie. But we get to the first unrealistic part of the movie, and I'm really sorry, but it is not a science <laughs> point. It is a common sense point. The blowing up the village? Yes. I have absolutely no source for why this is unrealistic. But, come on, there's no way that they'd be able to get away with that. Okay, why don't we move into the actual science of the movie, because this isn't about conspiracy theories. Okay, yeah, science podcast. All right, so, when the virus is brought over from Africa, the index patient is a monkey. This monkey bites a man in Cedar Creek, California, the small town in the center of this movie. The man then goes to the hospital some two or three days later and dies. The doctor orders blood tests. All of this is so far, so good, normal, right? Yeah. Okay. So they show the lab technicians spinning down the blood in a centrifuge, which is a machine that separates fluids of different densities by centrifugal force, and the man is not wearing proper equipment for this. <laughs> Someone has just died of an unknown illness, and he's not wearing goggles, and he just sticks his hand in the centrifuge without waiting for it to stop. This is not normal behavior. No, I mean, we use centrifuges all the time, and they usually don't even open unless the rotor has stopped anyway. Right. I do not know what kind of centrifuge they're using, because they don't really give you, like, a good view of it, because <laughs> this is clearly not very important to the movie. But at minimum, you need goggles on when working with human blood and tissue. Yeah. I mean, it's a big point of training in bloodborne pathogens. Right. You need goggles, you need a mask, you need gloves on, you need a lab coat on. It's, it's pretty important. So, next we need to talk about a central part of the movie, when they discover that the virus has mutated. Okay, so I don't work with viruses. I'm fairly sure you can't tell something is mutated just from looking at it under a microscope, usually. So you shouldn't be able to, unless it's a really drastic phenotypic mu mutation. Um, usually you have to look at the genetic code of the virus. Mm -hmm. Plus, I'm fairly certain that Dustin Hoffman uses a light microscope to determine this, and you cannot see a virus under a light microscope. It is way too small. You definitely need something with a higher power of magnification, like an electron microscope. And what that is isn't really important, but viruses are usually 20 to 300 nanometers in diameter. That's too small to see by a standard light microscope based on physics. If you've physics. ever looked at a cell under a microscope, like think back to middle school when you might have done those cheek swabs and looked at them on slides, this would be a thousand times smaller than that, most likely. Right. So he would not be able to tell the mutation of the virus, i.e. that it's airborne now, just from looking at it under the light microscope. <laughs> All right, next we have another case of not using proper equipment. While they're actually testing people in this um, town for the Motaba virus, Kevin Spacey's character rips his biohazard suit, just walking through the lab. 
which you'd think that they'd be a little bit more sturdy, but I don't know. He goes through decontamination, and then everyone proceeds as if everything is normal. Um, <laughs> this is not normal. <laughs> he should have gone through quarantine procedures and been tested for the virus. Right. Pretty much immediately. He kind of lies and says, like, oh, I just got, like, really scared, but it would have been fairly obvious that one of the suits was ripped. Sure. Or missing. Um, and at this point, they wouldn't have been able to do anything for him yet. They haven't figured out how to stop the virus. But at least he wouldn't have been able to infect anyone because he kind of s- just keeps walking around with all these doctors. Right. Because at this point in the movie, uh, the virus is known to be airborne. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could cough on any of the other scientists and that would have been it. Yeah, exactly. We would have no more movie. Everybody would be dead, basically. And he does end up infecting Renee Russo's character anyways, because she accidentally stabs herself with an infected needle. Yikes. Yeah. Not fun. <laughs> okay. Lastly, we have how they actually cure everyone of the virus. Dustin Hoffman and Cuba Gooding Jr. find the index monkey, bring him back to the small town, and use the antibodies from the monkey to create an antiserum for the virus. All of this checks out, scientifically. But it's the amount of antiserum that they make... I don't make anti-serum, but I find it highly unrealistic that they can make enough anti-serum to save everyone in the town immediately, and then also inoculate everyone in the town. Right. It's a small town, but not that small, and it's a very small it monkey. such a small monkey. <laughs> so what's the verdict on Outbreak? Okay, so this movie is super, super fun. I absolutely love this movie, but no, it's not a, scientific real- a scientifically realistic movie. Got it. Fun to watch. Don't copy them if you're running your own lab on virology. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you would take any, you know, like, <laughs> clues from Outbreak, but don't copy them. <laughs> so now we have one more movie to discuss, and this movie has been more popular recently because people have been equating it to the, equating the flu that spreads in this movie to the coronavirus. Yes. Contagion, from 2011, starring Marion Coltriard, Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, Jude Law... Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Winslet, and Jennifer Earle. Is that all? Yeah. (laughs) This is a medical thriller that shows how a disease could spread and then be contained. It's a very good movie. So it shows a flu-like virus that spreads from China to the United States through Gwyneth Paltrow. She is the index patient. Yes. In this movie, as compared to Outbreak, she is the monkey. Okay, so let's get into the actual science of the movie. As far as how the virus began, it's pretty realistic. According to the director for the Center of Global Health Science and Security at Georgetown University, Rebecca Katz, she often shows the film's ending to her students in her class on emerging infectious diseases. Now, the end of the movie is the point where they actually show how the virus could have spread from bats to pigs to humans. The public health official that the CDC sends in this movie, Kate Winslet's character, is also from a real department, correct? Yes, the Epidemic Intelligence Service, or EIS. This group goes to outbreak areas to try to identify people with this new infectious disease and then sets up disease control protocols to then contain and stop the outbreak. In addition, the movie actually does a pretty good job describing what's known as formites. These are areas that an infected person would touch and then could harbor the infectious disease and be passed on to someone else. The way the movie depicts this may be a little dramatic about how quickly the virus would have been in Gwyneth Paltrow's character's respiratory tract, 
But for the rest of the movie, when people touch things and how they explain it, that's all very accurate. And this is why you always have to be washing your hands. You wash your hands and then don't touch your face. Do not touch your eyes, your nose, or your mouth. It's hard. It really is. So now, all of this pretty, so far has been pretty realistic. What about this movie's unrealistic? Okay, so the thing that comes to mind is their vaccine development. The doctor who develops it forgoes clinical trials to inject herself with the vaccine to see if it works. Oh, no. This is incredibly unrealistic. Do not do this. She cites another scientist who did this for H. pylori, um, which is how they discovered how ulcers were working in your body. But mm -hmm. he didn't actually use it for vaccine development. Right. You need to determine efficacy and safety of the vaccine in many people. And this is why it takes such a long time. Right. Plus, vaccines actually take a while to engineer with our current system. So, dare I ask the verdict for Contagion? It's all in all pretty realistic. It's also a very fun movie. It's very good. Please watch it. Yeah, I'm, I absolutely agree. They're a lot of fun. Um, maybe not the best climate for it right now, but... I, know. I just love a good disaster movie. And at the end of Contagion and Outbreak, mm -hmm. everybody's happy and, you know, go lucky. And it's interesting to see how they're handled. Exactly. Why don't you talk to us a little bit now about the management of epidemics? We see this a little bit at the end of Contagion. Yeah, we do. So to combat false information rapidly, the WHO actually has advice that they have out there on their website for how these things should be handled. And usually that involves experts and response teams that are going to quickly relay information on the nature of an outbreak event and protective measures that people can take to mitigate the risk of infection. Like we've talked about, washing your hands, there's also um, social distancing in relation to coronavirus. And to effectively do this, these people must also be listening to what the fears of the public are and quickly addressing false rumors. So what about this communication to the public? Communication, according to the WHO, should start early in order to build trust with the community. And in particular, science jargon is very bad here. Agencies should make sure that they're focus focusing on being understandable and informative. And they should definitely provide frequent updates so the public doesn't panic. So what if you aren't part of the at-risk population? You're generally healthy. You don't really have contact with um, people with immunocompromised systems the elderly, should you care or even follow what the experts say or should you just go about your life doing what you've been doing? Absolutely. I mean, even if through minimal effort on your part, that can do a lot to help protect the immunocompromised people that are connected through a friend of a friend of a friend. And so, like I said, those immunocompromised people can develop severe illnesses. They can be the elderly, the chronically ill, and the babies. Right. So herd immunity here. Exactly. Those that can't fully protect themselves rely on the rest of the population to control the spread of things like this. All right. Well, that's it for us today. Check out those movies. They're so much fun. Outbreak is currently on Netflix and Contagion is on Amazon streaming, but not Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. Let us know what weird science bits stick out to you guys. Come talk to us on our social media accounts. We're on Twitter at HowRealSciencePod. Uh, SciPod. SciPod. <laughs> the Instagram is HowReal underscore SciPod. And our website anchor.fm backslash how real is that science you can find us on spotify apple podcasts and most other podcasting platforms thanks for listening bye <laughs> la, 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 la. hi, hi.